you pray with me? God, I'm just so grateful this morning that though the mountains shake and the earth gives way to the sea, though chaos seems rampant around us, you beckon us. Come, child. Find your rest in me. Stop trying to pursue life in all the ways apart from Jesus. God, thank you for opening the way. Thank you for coming near to us in the person of Jesus, in the vulnerability of a baby, so that you could show us what love looked like. And then dying on a cross so that we could have peace with you. God, I pray that this morning you would continue to move among us, Holy Spirit, that we might encounter your love afresh and anew. Soften our hearts, open our ears, for we want to see Jesus this morning. And all God's people said, amen, amen. You may be seated. So, last weekend, uh, our church held two funerals in three days. We, uh, one was for Donna Stuck and the other for Barb Nat. And I was reminded again, very vividly, that nothing sharpens life quite as much as death. Now, some of you are saying, come on. Let me ask you a question. If you knew today that you were going to die tomorrow, would you change anything about today? What would you do with the rest of this day and maybe tomorrow morning? Would that impact the choices you made? Are there people you would want to see or things you would want to do? Is there Words that you want to make sure got spoken to people you love. Or maybe is there a bridge you would want to mend or an apology you would want to extend? Would you go to work tomorrow morning? Would you go for a walk out in the sun? Would you maybe give some things away? How would it change your next 24 hours if you knew they were their, your last? And I suspect that if you're anything like me, it would change. Because there's nothing that sharpens life quite as much as death. See, death reminds us what's important and what isn't, ultimately. Because we can get so caught up, right, in work, and whether the turkey's big enough, and who won the game. Beautiful things, good things, not the most important things. Death strips us of the illusion that our days are infinite, that we've got as much time as we want. It urges us to prioritize living, really living, instead of just sleepwalking through our days. Because it's pretty easy, if we're honest, to go on autopilot, 
even on a week like this, right, where we gather with family, some of us, we eat the same food, we tell the same stories, we get triggered by the same relatives, and pretty soon we're just doing the same dynamics over and over and over again. I love how Ben Franklin said this. Some people die at 25, they just aren't buried until they're 75. I don't know about you, but that's not how I want to live. And I don't think it's how we were made to live. I'm willing to bet that you're here this morning because you want to live something different. You want to live every day fully alive to God and to other people. You want to engage the world around you with intention and purpose and generosity and hope, building bridges. So this morning, I want to close our series together on bridge building by eavesdropping on a conversation that Paul is having with a group of beloved elders. See, it's his closest ministry partners, and he's telling them goodbye. He knows he will never see them again, and death is on his mind. His vision is sharp. There's urgency in his voice. Now, I've invited Walt Stradley to come and read in a different translation than we normally use. It's the message. I, used, I chose it because of the ways it captures the emotion of the moment. And as he reads, I want you to picture the scene. Paul's been thinking about what he wants to say to them for several days. In fact, he intentionally walks part of the journey. Lean in with the elders who are listening. Catch his words. See the intensity in Paul's eyes. And put yourself in the circle. Walt, would you read for us? Our Bible reading today is from Acts chapter 20, verses 17 through 38. From Miletus, he sent to Ephesus for the leaders of the congregation. When they arrived, he said, you know that from day one of my arrival in Asia, I was with you totally, laying my life on the line, serving the master no matter what, putting up with no end of scheming by Jews who wanted to do me in. I didn't skimp or trim in any way. Every truth and encouragement that could have made a difference to you, you got. I taught you out in public. I taught you in your homes, urging Jews and Greeks alike to a radical life change before God and equally radical trust in our master Jesus. But there is another urgency before me now. I feel compelled to go to Jerusalem. I'm completely in the dark about what will happen when I get there. I do know that it won't be a, any picnic, for the Holy Spirit has let me know repeatedly and clearly that there are hard times and imprisonment ahead. But that matters little. What matters most to me is to finish what God started, the job the Master Jesus gave me of letting everyone I meet know all about this incredibly extravagant generosity of God. And so this is goodbye. You're not going to see me again, nor I you. You whom I have gone among for so long proclaiming the news of God's inaugurated kingdom. 
I've done my best for you, given you my all, held back nothing of God's will for you. Now it's up to you. Be on your toes, both for yourselves and your congregation of sheep. The Holy Spirit has put you in charge of these people, God's people they are, to guard and protect them. God himself thought they were worth dying for. I know that as soon as I'm gone, vicious wolves are going to show up and rip into this flock, men from your very own ranks twisting words so as to seduce disciples into following them instead of Jesus. So stay awake and keep your guard. Remember of those three years I kept at it with you, never letting up, pouring my heart out with you one after another. Now I'm turning you over to God, our marvelous God, whose gracious word can make you into what he wants you to be and give you everything you could possibly need in this community of holy friends. I've never, as you so well know, had any taste for wealth or fashion. With these bare hands, I took care of my own basic needs and those who worked with me. In everything I've done, I've demonstrated to you how necessary it is to work on behalf of the weak and not exploit them. You'll no, not likely go wrong here if you keep remembering that our master said, you're far happy, happier giving than getting. Then Paul went down on his knees, all of them kneeling with him, and prayed. And then a river of tears, much clinging to Paul, not wanting to let him go. They knew they would never see him again. He told them quite plainly, the pain cut deep. Then bravely, they walked him down to the ship. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Oh, don't take my sermon with you. you I mean, to read it? No, yeah, sure. No. <laughs> They might want you to take my sermon with you. No. Mine's in bold print. That's true. Mine's in smaller print. <laughs> Thank you, Walt. So you could hear the urgency in Paul's words, couldn't you? He's recounting a life well-lived, courageously and generously and sacrificially. He's invested in those people deeply, not to get something from them, but to give someone to them. And I think it's amazing you can hear the tenderness and the affection and a clear commitment to a life lived in obedience rather than comfort. No, Paul has not phoned his life in. He hasn't been sleepwalking through his relationships. Who would not want to be able to say in their final goodbyes to people in their life, I've done my best for you. I've held nothing back. I've given you all I have for God, including God's will for you. So as I sat with this passage, I kept getting drawn to two simple phrases that caught my heart and my eye over and over again. The first is in verse 22. Paul tells the Ephesians that he feels compelled to go to Jerusalem. Did you catch that? Now, in this translation, it doesn't explicitly say by the Spirit, but in other translations and in the original manuscript, it says compelled by the Spirit. Now, in English, the word compel means to force, to oblige somebody to something. 
So when I first read this phrase that Paul describes being compelled by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem, well, my picture, my mental picture was something my mother used to do. Anybody have a mother who did this? Grab you by the ear to pull you in a direction? That's what it looked like in my brain. The Spirit dragging Paul to Jerusalem. I read compelled by the Spirit and I substituted forced by the Spirit. But then I dug a little deeper and it turns out the meaning of compelled is a little more complex than that. It means literally to bind. Now, it can mean that Paul was literally bound in ropes, but that's not actually what the picture is here, is it? That means we go to the second definition or meaning of the word. And that is to be bound to another person in marriage. Does that change this? Because that means that the word, instead of having force or obligation connected to it, actually has love. Let me give you an example of this. When Dennis and I got married, we're bound to each other. We committed to follow each other. And so when he got into grad school in Wichita, Kansas, I went. Now, let me just tell you, I would not voluntarily go to Wichita, Kansas on my own. It was not a place I would have chosen to go on my own accord. And I will be candid, it wasn't easy. We had two cars stolen. We lived in an apartment where we way too often debated whether we should call the police on our neighbors. He was knee-deep in labs that involved a lot of formaldehyde because he was taking anatomy, and he would come home reeking. I mean, just smelled. Everything in our apartment smelled for about a year. And there was nowhere else I would have wanted to be. Because I wasn't there for the glamour of Wichita, Kansas. Let's be clear. I was there because he was there. I was there because of love. And that love created a lot of joy and space and life in the middle of all the chaos of Wichita, Kansas. And then to be fair, later, I got a job in Lincoln, Nebraska. And uh, let's be clear, I think it goes without saying that that is never a place he would choose to go, apart from, you know, love, because he's a good Iowa boy. But he went to Lincoln, Nebraska, the home of red carpet. <laughs> Seriously, home of red. They sell more red carpet in Lincoln, Nebraska than anywhere in the country because I was there. And he was bound to me by love. And we, followed, we've, we have followed each other over the years, compelled by love. Now that's the picture that Paul's referring to here. In fact, in his second letter to the Corinthians, Paul says explicitly, it is Christ's love that compels him. Not duty, not force, not obligation, not with his arm wrenched up behind his back. He lives as one who has been embraced by the extravagant generosity of God and is now willing to yield to wherever the Spirit takes him. And friends, that's 
different. I make that distinction because I think it's important to living a life fully alive. See, I think a lot of us are trying to live a faith out of obligation or duty. We show up because we feel forced or guilty. And while that's an okay motivation, you can gut it out for a while. Duty can only sustain you so long. Let's go back to our move to Wichita. Let's imagine for a second that I did not go willingly out of love, but I went out of obligation because I'm married to that guy. How long do you think it would have taken for the resentment and the anger to set in, particularly the first night when I heard that we were under an airport landing strip? That was both our mistakes, by the way. That was not... Right? How compelling, let's ask that, would our relationship be if it was only based on duty? You've seen it, right? Relationships that are merely obligatory now. Now, I think Paul wants the Ephesian elders and us to be motivated by something far deeper, a well of God's love for us. I think that is the only well deep enough to sustain a life of courage and generosity and sacrifice when things get hard. And let me be clear, building bridges gets hard. Don't believe the lie that if you follow God, it's going to be easy. But there is a God of the universe who adores you and says, yeah, but I'll go with you. And I will never let you down and I will never let you go. Or Paul would say in Ephesians 3 that we are to live a life rooted and grounded in that love given eyes by the Spirit to see how wide and deep and high and love, and high and wide that love is for you and for me and for the world around us. But then maybe you are like me and you're asking, okay, that's great. I'm loved. I don't feel it. I don't feel it today. Today I just feel lonely or anxious or grieving or angry. And that's where I found myself drawn to the second phrase. That phrase is in verse 28, after Paul has recounted, right, how, how he has loved them and poured his life out for them and that he's not going to see them again. And then in verse 28, he turns and he says, here's the most important thing you should do. The very first words out of his mouth that give them direction. He says, be on your toes for yourself and for others. A more familiar translation of this might be keep watch over yourself and over your flock. Now, I have to tell you, I read that and I thought again, wow, are we back to being enforcers? Right? My job is to keep track of myself and then keep my finger on others. Is that what Paul meant when he said, be on your toes or keep watch? But then I looked a little deeper again. That phrase, be on your toes, well, it means to bring near, to hold tightly to. 
And that starts to make sense when you realize that Paul's actually talking about being a shepherd. And so his point is, you are supposed to, I am supposed to watch over my own soul the way a shepherd watches over a flock. To guard, to care for, to protect, to keep track of. And so Paul is inviting you and I to stay alert, to stay alive to the love of God and to be attentive to that. To keep our minds attuned and attentive when we feel ourselves drawn by enemies like busyness and greed and selfishness and lust. Be on your toes. Guard your heart. Or as King Solomon said, because it is the wellspring of life. Friends, practically for me, that means I have to be intentional about cultivating my relationship with God. The same way I have to be in culti- intentional about cultivating my relationship with my husband. See, if, I don't, if we don't connect with each other regularly, then pretty soon we are just bound by duty, not by love. And the same is true for our relationship with God. And I think it's particularly important in a week like this where there are going to be a thousand things pulling at you. I promise you, if you are not on your toes, if you don't be intentional about connecting with God, everything else will take your heart. The to-do lists, the demands of others, the TV, the endless Black Friday ads, all of it will take your heart. And so that means you're going to have to be intentional. I have to be intentional this week. So for example, one of the things I do to ground myself is to grab one of my devotionals instead of my phone first thing in the morning. Most days. I'm not perfect, okay? So grab one of these. Or we actually have these words of hope also over at the... uh, This is a practical way in the next several days, you can ground yourself in who you are and whose you are. It means that when I can feel myself spinning out into anxiety or anger, I probably need to go for a walk and put my worship music on or step into a room and do a centering prayer. Or I may need to call a friend and say, I'm gonna need, or text a friend and say, I'm gonna need you to pray for me or I'm gonna kill my aunt. I really wouldn't kill my aunt, by the way, if my mother's watching online. I really would not. But you know what I'm saying, right? What works for you might be different than what works for me. I'm telling you, though, and I'm trying to urge you with the same intensity that I think Paul urged the Ephesian elders, you can't sleepwalk through faith. you got to choose. So we've got to be on our toes, not out of obligation because we're loved by the God of the universe. And that love is available whether you are single or married, whether you a student or a widow or a widower, whether you are poor or rich from the United States or from somewhere else. And that's why I think this passage felt appropriate to end our series on, because Guess what? If we want to be people who build bridges, your strength is not enough. 
Mine is not enough. In the same way that you could, I could never build a bridge across the Des Moines River by myself, you and I cannot, in our own power, be bridge builders. We don't have the resources. We're too broken. We're too selfish. But God, God, the ultimate bridge builder, says, uh, would you stop trying to do this by yourself? Keep turning to me day after day, moment after moment. My love is so deep and wide, I will be here for you. Just quit trying to be the God of your own life and follow me. And so my prayer for us this morning is that we will be people who will keep humbling ourselves and turning again over and over and over again to Jesus, moment by moment, day by day, and that as we do this, our marvelous God, whose gracious word can make you into what he wants you to be, and give you everything you could possibly need in this community of holy friends would equip you and empower you today, tomorrow, and every day. Let's pray. God, I pray that now in this quiet moment, you would remind us that you so loved our world, each one of us, that you sent your one and only son, Jesus, that we might have life and salvation and hope and peace in the midst of the darkness, that our weakness and our vulnerability and our sin could be forgiven and we could be agents of healing and life. And so in the days ahead, when our hope runs thin, when despair comes knocking, when selfishness sneaks, I pray that, God, we would turn towards you that we would repent of our attempts to run our own lives and we would yield again to the power and the love that is found in God our Father, embodied in Jesus, and we would be filled by the Spirit. Thank you that that love comes running after us, that we don't have to earn it, that we don't have to be good enough for it. We just have to lean back into it. In Jesus' name, amen.